We're going to turn to God's Word and we're going to continue in our first Peter sermon series. We're looking at chapter 4, verses 1 to 11 this morning. And the sermon title is Stewards of God's Grace. Let's read God's Word together. And it's on page 1016 on the Bibles in the pew if you're looking to follow it. 1016. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh and has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Last week we spent some time uh, wrestling with the difficult verses that are in verses 18 to 20 in chapter 3. And we will return um, back to some of those verses at the tail end of chapter 3 because we didn't get to fully um, uh, look at them together. Uh, But I want to do that the week before we uh, sit at the Lord's table. So I think that's uh, next Sunday we'll go back to some of those verses in chapter 3 because it will help prepare our hearts as we go towards the Lord's table on the 30th together. But last week we saw, or at least I tried to to show you that, that what Peter is saying in those verses that are are very hard and difficult to uh, grapple with, that, that ultimately that Christ, although he suffered, that he has the victory, that Christ is victorious and even the very pits of hell and the damnedest of demons know that Jesus has won, that he has the victory and that for those in Christ Jesus, it is finished. But in order for that, Christ needed to suffer. He needed to pay the price. So for victory to happen, Christ needed to suffer. Hebrews 12 tells us that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Sounds like a bit of a contrast and doesn't really seem to fit together the joy and the enduring of suffering or the enduring of pain. But Jesus On his path to the cross and on his path of suffering, he leaned into this joy that the Hebrew writer tells us about. So what was this joy? That that even though Jesus was going to endure suffering on the cross, even though he was going to die, that 
he did it for the joy set before him. What is that joy? What was the joy Christ focused on, on his pathway of suffering? Because I think this is a really important point that we're going to see in a few minutes where Peter says. The joy that was set before Jesus, I would, I would posit, is the, the hope of, of, of eternity for, for God's people. This, this joy of, of winning redemption for your soul. The joy of seeing you clothed in his righteousness. The joy, as Spurgeon so beautifully put it, of finding mansions in heaven for homeless souls. That was the joy that Jesus had, even though he was enduring the cross. The joy of sharing the eternal enjoyments that were his, but now are yours because of your inheritance in him. The joy set before him. He endured the cross. So in verse 1 of our passage this morning, in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, Peter goes on and he points back to the suffering that he's speaking of in chapter 3, verse 18. The suffering that Christ endured. And he does it again to help encourage the believers. Last time he, he looked at it showing that, that you know, even though you're, you're suffering, you, you hold the victory because Christ suffered and Christ also has the victory. But here he looks to encourage them in a, in a bit of a different way when he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So when you're suffering, I remember the suffering that Peter is really speaking about here is hardship or, or persecution for our faith. That's really the suffering that he is speaking to in the passage that we're reading here. That we are to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Here's the thing, friends, we can have hope and joy even when we suffer. Why? Because hope and joy is not found in the absence of suffering, but in the presence of God. Hope and joy are not found in the absence of suffering, but in the presence of God. So that's why we can, even in the midst of the hardest of times in our life, that we can hold on to hope, we can hold on to joy, because our hope and joy, they are not circumstantial, they are relational. It's through union with Christ, that nothing will ever separate that union you have with him, because you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And we're called here to be imitators of Christ. That, that includes how we respond to the persecution that we endure. And here, Peter goes on to show that even though you go through suffering, you're to, when you suffer, you are to suffer by still avoiding sin. Even when you suffer, you need to continue avoiding sin. The main point of this is that believers are to arm themselves. It's the, it gives off like military connotations in, in, when we read it, doesn't it? About arming yourself. It's the same way in Ephesians 6 when you clothe yourself or arm yourselves with the, the whole armor of God. It gives that same kind of visual uh, image of, of a soldier going off to battle. How they would arm themselves with a sword and a shield. Friends, when we face suffering, when we face persecution, we don't arm ourselves with a sword or a shield. What Peter says here is we arm ourselves with thinking the same way as Christ thought about his 
suffering. As a soldier prepares for battle, so a believer should prepare themselves for suffering. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, Peter says. Now, when we read this, it kind of might think that, you know, once you become a Christian that you never make mistakes again. And that's, that's not what that verse says. And all the believers of God have just gone, amen. I know that I still make mistakes every day. Even though I believe in him, man, I still sin. We still mess things up. So it's not saying that those who are in Christ and when they're suffering, that they do so being perfect and not making mistakes. What, again, it's showing is it's pointing back to the breaking of the chains of sin that Jesus has brought for his people. That you're no longer governed by sin. You're no longer held down by sin. You're no longer weighed down by sin. That we're not covered by sin, but we are covered by the blood of the Lamb and that we're products of grace. But as we do this, what Peter is saying is that as you suffer, people should see that no condemnation now I dread, all that is in Christ is mine, or something, words to that effect, as the hymn writer says, that when we suffer, what people should see is that, that we have been set free by Jesus. They should see our union with Christ. I read of this week about uh, 40 martyrs of Sebasti. And these 40 soldiers, all Christians, were members of the famed 12th Legion of Rome's Imperial Army. And one day their captain told them, emperor, the emperor had sent out an edict that all soldiers were to offer sacrifices to pagan gods. And these Christians, these 40 Christian soldiers replied to that edict by saying, you can have our armor and even our bodies. But our heart's allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ. It was midwinter of AD 320. And the captain had them marched onto a nearby frozen lake. He stripped them of their clothes. And said they would either die or renounce Christ. Throughout the night these men huddled together singing their song. Forty martyrs for Christ. One by one, the temperature took its toll and they fell to the ice. At last, there was only one man left. But he lost courage and stumbled to the shore where he renounced Christ. The officer of the guards, though, had been watching everything that had been taking place. And he was so moved by the 39 that would rather die than renounce their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Unknown to them, as this was going on, the captain of the guard's heart was so convicted and so moved that he came to faith in Jesus. He saw that even in their suffering, that they were united to Jesus and that nothing would deter from that. When he saw this last man break rank, the captain of the guard who had just become a Christian through watching the suffering of those 39 martyrs, walked out onto the ice, threw off his clothes, and confessed also that he was now a Christian. When the sun rose the next morning, there were 40 bodies of soldiers who had fought to the death for Christ. 
Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Friends, when we suffer in this life, people should see our union with Jesus, that we're no longer chained by sin, but we're united to Christ because of the cross of Calvary. How we respond to suffering reveals the hope that we have in Jesus. It reveals the union that we have with him, that we've been washed by the blood of the lamb, that we are in him, that we are found in Christ. In Christ alone, our hope is found. That we have Christ, that we can say that the the sky, not the grave, is our goal. We can say that there is nothing that this world can throw at us that will diminish the glory that awaits God's people. And Peter furthers this thought when he says in verse 2, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That we should prepare ourselves for suffering in this world so that we can live for the will of God. And what Peter is doing here is he's contrasting human passions and the the passions of the flesh and the will of God. Friends, the two things are not compatible. They cannot go together. They stand apart. They stand apart. And what Peter is saying here is that if you're living by the will of God and you're living for the will of God, you cannot live for the, the passions of the human flesh. You cannot be governed and being controlled by sin anymore because you've been set free. And this can and will cause hardship and persecutions though as we stand for truth in the midst of a world of sin. Peter in verse 2 is saying, don't live for human passions, but for the will of God. And now he looks to give a reason for that by beginning verse 3 with the word for. For the time that is past suffices. (laughs) What, What he's saying is here, you have sinned enough. You don't need to sin anymore. You've sinned enough in this life. Even if you've done one wrong thing, we've all done more than one. But even if you've done one wrong thing, you've sinned enough. Because for that sin, Christ died. You've already spent sufficient time in the past living like the Gentiles. You've already spent sufficient time in the past living lives of sinful desire, Peter saying. And Peter gives some examples of what those past sins were. And probably ones that were pretty prevalent in uh, the day and age Excuse me, that he is writing to. Sensuality. This word points to giving oneself over to acts of sexual immorality. Passions, sinful desires that have an influence over you and your behavior, like lust, for example. Drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. All of these things were were very common in the Greco-Roman culture. Of of this culture of of sexual debauchery and lawless idolatry or acts of lawless uh, idolatry. As I was reading this, I thought, you know, Peter could be writing about the UK in 2022. Could he not? In this day we live where we just see the the increase of the drive of sex and the, the, the appeal and the selling of sex and all these things that people use to sell their products, the, the, the sexualized nature of our culture... And the acts of lawless idolatry where people bow down to anything but the king of kings. 
The God of, of, of me that we're seeing increase, increase in society. The God of I. Do you know, as long as, you know, as the, the good old man said, I, I did it my way. You shouldn't do it your way. You should do it Christ's way. We're called to reject the ways of this world. Don't give over to the, the passions of the flesh, but be guided by the will of God. That's what Peter is saying. And as Peter says, they, they do not, the, the world, they do not understand, he says in verse 4, as to why you would say no to the things that look pleasing to the eye. Why you would turn your back on these things, the, 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 the sins that he's mentioned there, the sins that we see in our own society, in our culture. People are surprised when we go, do you know what? I'm abstaining from that. I disagree with that. I don't want to live like that. They're surprised. But their response often doesn't just stop at one of surprise. Peter says they will malign you. They will act towards you with hostility. And that's what was going on with Peter's recipients. They were being met with uh, hostile actions and thoughts.